Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien. This episode, we'll be talking to Kathy Loomis of Cyber Savvy. Cyber Savvy's mission is to provide parents with the tools and resources necessary to effectively and safely guide their children through the digital landscape. We continue now with Kathy and pick up where we left off for part two of two. Great. So is there anything else a parent should know before giving their child a smartphone? Um, uh, one of the questions that I get a lot in our seminars are which phone should I give um, an iPhone or an Android? And um, I'm I curious say, myself to hear the answer. <laughs> I recommend the iPhone. And the reason why I recommend the iPhone is that I think that Apple has done a good job of inherently giving us tools to control, be better parental controls of our kids' stuff. So they've given us more restrictions as parents. We, we can lock down phones a little bit better. The Android can do everything that the iPhone can do. It's just that uh, the iPhone has it in a more organic way. You don't have to download a bunch of apps to get to the same place. Yeah. Well, you know, I think in general in the, in, in the geek tech community, you know, iPhones and Apple products in general are known for being so user friendly, having a high degree of usability, right? So certainly can support that and understand why that would be the choice on the flip side the android is usually preferred for those that want more control and more specific details access you know but it's not necessarily as easy or straightforward as it can be on the iphone at least that's the the general consensus i pick up from the field right right i'm going to give you an example of, of an iphone um tool that sure. just comes that comes uh, basic and standard. So iPhone has um, something called family sharing. And what that does is you can set up your children um, under your account. And then anytime that they want to download an app, they have what's called an ask to buy. And so your child would go to the app store, figure out what they want, and then go to purchase the app. Well, what that what Apple does is it will send that notification immediately to the parent. And then at that point, the parent can do their research and whether or not they want the child to have the app. And then at that point, approve the purchase. That's great. So if, if, you know, you ideally want your child to have an iPhone and you set all that stuff and, you know, look over everything ahead of time, you know, preferably you're taking it out of the box before Christmas morning and setting it all up, putting it back in the box, wrapping it up and giving it to your child. Does that mean that the parents too also should have or need to have an iPhone to have an overview of their children's iPhone? Or is that just specific to the device that you're giving to the kid? I think it's helpful if the parents know their way around um, an iPhone. Um, as part of my workshops, I do walk them through all the safety features and the, the abilities, what they can do with it. Um, I think that's very helpful. Because that's one of the barriers for parents, that they don't feel like they know the technology and how it can be used or what they can do with it, so they don't talk about it. So that's 
that's um, a critical component of all the seminars that I do is I show them how they can do it. Um, but it's not necessary. I think that if a parent has an Android and they give their child an iPhone, um, there, there are things that you won't be able to use like family sharing because that's the, the, originator, has, the originator has to have an iPhone, but things can still be done in a workaround way using third-party apps. Sure. So what else as a parent should I know before giving my kid a smartphone or their first mobile device to go off into the world with? Well, I would suggest that, um, that they, you know, just be engaged, have a conversation. Uh, I always recommend to parents to use a technology usage contract and it, pretty much just covers every scenario that they can imagine might happen with their, with their child. Like what happens if they feel like they're cyber bullied? Um, you talk about that point and you, the, the whole essential component of having that contract and having that discussion with your child is to really engage them in conversation and to let them know what your expectations are of them. And I think a lot of times as parents, we assume that our kids know what our expectations are, even though we haven't conveyed those. Um, So our kids aren't mind readers. We have to tell them exactly what we're expecting of them and how we expect them to act. And if we're not doing that, then they have no boundaries because they haven't been told what they can do and what they can't do. So with the contract, it just opens up those lines of communication with their child and um, a, an important component of the contract that I use is that if a child has a misstep and we all know that they will um, and some of those are going to be epic <laughs> but when the, the child has um, a misstep that if they come to the parent proactively so they've made a mistake and they come to the parent and they let them know what the mistake is, that the parent will not take away the phone. So one out of every 10 children who have an, uh, an online issue will go to a parent because they fear that the, the parents are going to take their phone away. And it truly is for, for this generation, it is their lifeline to their social network. So if they have no phone, they have no social life and they don't want that to happen. So they would rather hide something bad than to talk to their parents about it because they don't want to lose that connection. So as a parent, we have to convey to our kids, if they come to us proactively, then we won't take away the phone and we will solve this issue together. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, as you were talking, and this might be silly, but I kind of feel like the moment that you feel like your children are ready, your child is ready for a, a smart device, whatever it be, tablet, mobile phone, whatever, most of the time it's the mobile phone. Um, I feel like it's a, it's a teaching opportunity in and of itself. It's kind of like when you decide to get your child a pet or introduce a, a, a new cat or dog in the house. It's an opportunity, not just a teaching moment, but a moment of responsibility, right? When you bring right. this, When you bring this animal, you bring this pet into the house, now... You're responsible for feeding it and watering it and cleaning it and looking after it, right? 
you know, with, with, uh, I think the Spider-Man quote, right? With uh, great power comes great responsibility. And I don't think it's any different from a smart device. Would you, would you agree or am I, I off? I absolutely agree. I say that all the time. So you need to, when you hand over that device, you need to talk to your kids about it. You need to let them know what a huge responsibility it is. And uh, if they're willing to accept the device, that means that they're willing to accept that responsibility. Absolutely. Absolutely. So cyber savvy parents, this is another class you've got. And just reading over the syllabus, the bullet points of what's discussed and talked about in this class has me just chomping at the bit to ask all kinds of questions. So uh, lies parents tell themselves about their child's online safety, cyber bullying and sexting defined, um, how to deal with bullying or sexting. Um, a lot of good stuff in this class. Let's, let's talk about this one. Okay. <laughs> I'm excited. So, uh, the, the lies that the parents can tell themselves, uh, my, my child is too young for that. That's the one, like my, my child will never do something like that. That's the one that gets me all the time because when you give a child an iPad, an iPhone, um, any type of smart device, they are explorers. They're little explorers. They want to go everywhere. They want to do everything. Uh, they will click on everything that will take them to inappropriate places. So just when you think your child's not going to do it, just know that they will. So that's probably the biggest lie. Um, and in that, I have a story about uh, sexting because I did a presentation to a group of fourth and fifth graders. And I thought long and hard to bring up sexting. Um, And sexting is basically when kids send nude photos, half nude photos to each other. Um, And to your first point, you'd think you wouldn't have to have that conversation with fourth and fifth graders, but. Right. Right. Because we just, we don't want to think of our kids doing that, especially at that age. It's so young. But um, after I gave this presentation, I opted in because I felt like the kids need to know because they might be approached by somebody, especially a predator, who's going to ask them for this and how are we going to, how are they, how should they deal with it? So I'd rather talk about it than not talk about it. Um, So after this presentation, I just let the kids know that, you know, when you send nude photos to each other, it's a federal offense. It's it's now uh, you're under pornography laws. So when that happens, you know the feds get involved. So I think I scared one one child so badly, and she came up to me afterwards, and she let me know that the older brother of a friend of hers asked her to send a nude photo. Mm. And tears welled up in her eyes. I could tell she was scared to death. And I just let her know that it's not her fault that the inappropriate request came from the friend's brother. He should have never asked that of her. Um, So he's the one at fault. Sure. And so we had to talk about it, but it, it, it was very emotional. Um, You could tell that she was tormented by it. And, you know, who, who knows how long it, it went on, but 
So the point of the story is it's never too you're it's never an inappropriate time. Your kids are never too young to have these conversations because if once you give them a device, then it opens up that whole world to all of these things that can happen. It's a lot of doors, windows, gateways, and everything else that's been opened simultaneously that you as the parent have to monitor and shut down in a lot of cases. And as the parent, you've got to be on top of those windows and doors and gateways. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how do you, how do you, as a parent, how do you help your kids navigate those bullying and sexting waters? What do you, what do you do? What do you do with all that? What do you say? How do you bring up sexting with your own children? I know it's so embarrassing and they, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that these conversations are easy because they're not, they're awkward. Uh, Nobody wants to have these conversations, but we have to have these conversations. We are the adults that we have to teach our parents, our kids um, in the way that we want them to go. So it's essential that we as parents talk um, and conversations are the biggest part of it. So you want to have those cyber safety conversations, not just once, it's an ongoing conversation and, and use as many opportunities as you can to initiate conversations. For example, if there is a story on the news, um, bring your child down, have them listen to it, and then talk about it. If there's uh, a movie that comes on, like there are 13 Reasons Why was a big Netflix Mm, uh, movie and it talked about teen suicide, Um, it essentially was the topic. But all the teens wanted to watch it. Everyone said it was inappropriate, but those are, those are things that we can hook onto and initiate conversations so that we can talk to our kids and, and, you know, just be patient, be honest with them. You're not going to know everything, but together you'll find the information and work together. And every time that you work together to handle the situation, it strengthens the bonds between you and your child. So you should do it often. Yeah. And perhaps just by initiating those conversations and that interaction on that level, it encourages the child to take the initiative and do the same in kind back to the parent too, as well. Right. Right. And then to that point, I think it's important that we convey to our kids that we expect them to make mistakes. Everyone's going to make mistakes. Even adults make mistakes, um, huge mistakes. Um, it's one of the drawbacks to being human, right? Exactly. But with every mistake that our kids or we make, it's an opportunity for growth. So we learn something from every mistake that we make. So just let them know that we're, we anticipate them making mistakes, but we want them to come to us and we'll work through them together. Yeah. So what else would you, what, what key takeaway? I mean, you know, we obviously want to have folks interested in your courses, classes, and your services, but what, for the cyber savvy parent, what is your number one takeaway, do you think? I would say um, you want to be very engaged. You want to continue the conversations. Um, Just on a very tactical level, you want to make sure that you're limiting screen time for for your kids um so eight and a half hours instead of nine would be a good start right no not so much (laughs) so just you know for kids who are under the age of 13 uh they should have um 
or I, I said for over the age of 13, they should limit their screen time to two hours a day. So there's a study that was conducted that said that kids who limit their screen time to two hours a day are happier and more self-confident and just more engaged in life, obviously, because they're not being distracted by their phones. And that truly is what happens with their kid, with our kids. They use um, all their time on their phones as a distraction for something else. So if they feel uncomfortable in a social situation, you will see them immediately pick up their phone and pretend like they're texting somebody. Um, but it helps them engage. But under the age of five, um, they should have no more than one hour a day. Sure. Limit, limit that distraction. Mm-hmm. You know, for us and the community that we operate in, the personal safety and self-defense, all those sorts of things, you know, it's, it's also got a place there too, as far as limiting your time and um, still allowing and emphasizing the importance of being situationally aware. And I think we were talking about previously there's been an uptick in children being hit by cars and crosswalks because they're so engaged and so engrossed, I guess would be a better word, with their smart devices that they're not even paying attention to crossing the road to get to the other side. And and, and I think it's equally as important to talk about those aspects and uh, the, the downsides of uh, smartphones and whatever from that angle as well, right? Absolutely. So each day in the United States, approximately nine people are killed from distracted um, driving or walking, and more than a, a thousand are injured. And um, that's so insane that's, to me, just for not paying attention because you're so caught up in this little screen that's in front of your face. Exactly. And that's every day. A thousand people every day are being injured. So that's a key point that I make, especially when I'm talking to parents and students, is that we need to learn to put our phones down when we're walking. Because it's funny, I mean, we've all watched those YouTube videos of people walking into doors, walking into a fountain, you know, things like that. And you get a good giggle from it until you see the person actually walking through a crosswalk and getting pummeled by somebody texting and driving, or they walk into the crosswalk and they're texting and driving and they're not, they're just not aware of their surroundings and what's going on. We need to put our phones down, get to point A from point A to point B, and then you can uh, distract yourself again. Yeah. And not to make light of that, but you just hit on something that made me think, you know, texting and walking is almost, or can almost be as dangerous as texting and driving. It really can, especially for our tweens and teens. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't think that they realize how dangerous it is. Uh, They all have missteps. They, you know, they trip up the stairs, they trip down the stairs. um, And then they, you know, they're like, oh, stupid me. They walk into a glass door. Oh, stupid me. But then they keep moving on. They don't realize it's because they're so focused on their phone that they can't think of anything else. So there was a study about multitasking and um, people's biological ability to, to multitask is um, a farce. People cannot multitask. They can't literally do two things at once. So when they think that they can text and drive, um, they're fooling themselves and they're, they're fooling themselves in a very dangerous way. Yeah, potentially so. Absolutely. 
Mm -hmm. But the iPhone actually um, has a new service. Uh, it's under the Do Not Disturb tab that for all drivers, um, if you're driving, you can turn on um, Do Not Disturb while driving. Yeah. And so it will autom if you receive a text, it will send an automatic text out saying, I'm driving right now. I'll, I'll get with you when I get, to, when I get to a stopping point. Yeah. And that's a good point. Uh, actually, and, and, uh, just to hype Android for just a minute, cause I'm an Android fan myself. I think there, Android yeah. has a similar program, if not native, uh, it's an app you can get, but yeah, you can set it up where, uh, when you're in the car, you turn it on and then any messages you're receiving uh, during that time automatically get a response saying, hey, I'm driving. I'll get back with you as soon as I get to where I'm going or whatever it says or whatever you want it to say. Right. There, there are a lot of great apps out there. Um, cell control is one for drivers and it will just basically block um, all notifications from coming in if you're in the driver's side. You can hand it over to the passenger and the passenger can do whatever they want, but the driver will not be able to do uh, anything on their mobile device, yeah. which is great, um, especially for new drivers. Absolutely. Um, and then they have, uh, there are a lot of things like hum is out there. So you can, it will, it does essentially the same thing. So shifting gears backwards here for just a minute, I want to talk more about cyberbullying and, and what to look for there and how parents can help their child that might be on the receiving end of some of that not so fun stuff. Deal with that. What, what are the recommended uh, ways of dealing with that or, or doing away with it, I should say? Right. So there was a study conducted about, um, as kids get phones earlier and earlier, they become meaner and meaner. Um, so it, it, there was a whole article that I read about, you know, how mean these fourth graders are to each other. And it's, it's because when kids can do things um, behind a screen, uh, then they do things that are just so much I feel like they call it uh, keyboard courage. I call it keyboard cowardice because they'll yeah. do things that they would never do to a person face to face. So, and you know, the, the sad thing about when you have a mobile device as a, as a child, then the bullying is nonstop. It doesn't, it doesn't stop at school. You don't go home for the school day and then you have at least, you know, a couple of hours of, of respite. Um, it goes on, it's continuous and they can get to our kids through terrible texts, through social media, um, posts and just exclusionary ways. So what I typically say to kids and parents is that if you get an inappropriate correspondence, whether it be a text or if it's a post, then you want to screenshot it because you want to keep the proof. Um, a lot of times kids will, will automatically delete it and then there's, there's not really any proof. So no record, when the yeah. kid, when the parents go to talk to another parent or go to talk to the school administration, then there's not really any proof and, and they need to keep that. So I say screenshot everything. Um, and then, and then take it from there. A lot of times people will say, ignore the bully. Um, that helps 
So it depends on what type of bullying it is. Okay, what do you mean? Like, is there what what kind of types of bullying would I not opt to ignore if I had the option? Um, so I don't know if you heard the story. There were there were two twelve year old girls who bullied another twelve year old in Florida to the point where the victim felt so harassed that she committed suicide. Yeah, I know. There's been a few cases like that. Right. So, and what the bulliers did is they just incessantly told her that she was ugly, that she should go kill herself. And they did it over and over and over to the point that the victim did actually kill herself. And it happens over and over. I mean, we hear more stories of that kind that we want to hear. It's devastating. So, Uh, those are things that you don't ever want to ignore. When somebody says that to you, then you need to screenshot it and you need to go to a trusted adult. If it's not your parent, then go to a favorite aunt, um, a neighbor, a favorite teacher, but you need to have those conversations because that the weight that that bears on a victim is just so heavy. And we talked a little bit about a, a teenager's brain that they're just not biologically equipped to handle attacks like that over and over and over. So those are the things that you wouldn't, anything that's a physical threat, um, anything that's incessant, anything that says go kill yourself, those are, are types of threats that should never be ignored. Those are the big red flags that you need to act upon. Right. And if it's, and if it's nonstop, if it's just, if it's continue, if it continues, if it's a one-time comment, um, Sometimes you can chalk that up to um, a kid just being dumb um, and, and sending that out. Yeah. But if it, the, what, where it crosses the line, if it's continuous and yeah. incessant. Sure. You know, I think it's important. It, it would seem to me, I think, because, you know, I, not to be pessimistic or anything, but I think it's safe to say that bullying's not going to go away. I know I experienced when I was growing up, I admit, I own it. There was a few times I got punched in the boys' bathroom, you know, going through, you know, middle school and what have you. And I think bullying's always going to be there. And I think part of that conversation that parents need to have with their children is the fact that they acknowledge the fact that it goes on and that it could be a part Maybe their child's not willing to talk to them about it yet, but they know that it's going on and to let them know, hey, it's okay. It happens. You shouldn't pay it a lot of attention, right? And kind of talk to them about the fact that it's the other person, not it's something wrong with the other person doing the bullying, not necessarily them. So maybe they, maybe that helps them not internalize it so much, right? Right, right. So that's such a great point is that bullies are typically acting from insecurities. So if they can bring somebody down, it makes them rise a little bit. So, um, exactly, exactly. So for, and bullying happens at different levels. So as a guy, we, we don't hear so much about, boys being cyber bullies. It happens. It definitely happens. But typically, um, girls are 
a little tougher in this area. And their techniques are a little bit different. They don't usually um, involve physical violence. Um, so sometimes adults are a little bit slower to respond or to take it seriously. So if your child, as a parent, if your child comes to you and talks about being bullied, um, don't blow it off. You, you need to take that conversation seriously because when a child comes to you, that means it be, it's, it's gotten a little That's out of control. That's pretty serious at that point. Right. Yeah. So shifting gears again here real quick, this one has me really curious. Uh, at least the latter half, setting expectations and consequences with your kids. What's that all about? What do I do? Okay. So we talked about the technology usage contract. So definitely have, and a contract sounds so legal and um, boring, uh, but it's, they're really just talking points is what the contract is. And so that you've talked about all these specific things with your child and you've agreed to them. So the beginning point is the contract. You have those conversations. And then you, um, as the parent, should have your children help you with those consequences. And you'll be amazed at what they come up with. Uh, they are much tougher than anything that you would have come up with. Um, but the nice thing about having them included in the consequences part of it is that they'll have more buy-in because they're creating the consequence for themselves. Sure. Um, and the thing about consequences, so I, I can't tell you exactly what consequence because that's going to be a family by family um, situational uh, conversation and and what they come up with. But um, what I I would say to the parents is that once you decide what those consequences are. You want to make sure that you as the parent can enforce them. A lot of times, you know, the kids will say, well, I'll lose my cell phone for two weeks. And you know that you're going to go on a trip or they're going to go on a trip and you're going to want them to have their phone with them. Um, well, that's going to be unenforceable. So you kind of want to think through those consequences and make sure that you can follow through on them. Um, so that's one thing. The second thing is to make sure that you consistently enforce any consequences that you have come up with. So um, if you're not enforcing them, then they're pretty much useless. Useless. Yeah, I think that's key is actually follow through and do what you say and not just the threat of the consequence, right? Sometimes parents, I think, get a little confused with friendship versus parenting and the parenting side says you need to do, you need to follow through and enforce those consequences. Right. So that's probably one of the biggest things. Sure. Yep. Understood. So out of all this stuff we've talked about today, and we've talked about an awful lot, what's the biggest takeaway for parents in dealing with smartphones, smart devices, mobile devices in general with their children? What would you say? Uh, I would say communicate. Yeah. I think it's, that that's probably your your biggest key for success is just open those lines of communication, keep them consistent, talk to them often. Um, cyber, cyber safety conversations are not one-time conversations. They just have to be continuous. Um, talk to your kids about what to look for, especially, you know, things that are 
a lot of times we'll talk to our kids about stranger danger. Oh, you know, that person looks scary, so I'll, I'll avoid them. But online, they never really know what that person looks like. And so when they meet somebody online, then um, the picture that is there may not be the real person. So it has to go past that. So you need to talk to them about, you know, what are inappropriate questions? What should I share? What should I not share? Things that they should never share are, you know, personal information. What's your address? Um, how old are you? That's an inappropriate question if, it, if it's followed up with, you know, other types of things. Yeah. So you just want to have those kind of conversations with our kids and don't expect them to know it because they don't know it. Well, Kathy, this has been a great talk, and I hope our audience gets a lot out of it. I know I have, and um, yeah, it's been great having you on today, and we want to thank you. Uh, For those of you listening, be sure to check out cybersavvy.com. There's a lot of good information out there, and it also gives you an opportunity to look over the classes and services that Kathy's company, CyberSavvy, offers you. So uh, be sure and check that out. And Kathy, we want to thank you once again for joining us today. Thanks Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Jim. Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon. Okay.